Chencho y Marti Lambe Vamos allá Blink, blink, blink Por eso friki, 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 blink, friki, blink To another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss a team that needs lots of basketball players. Your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is May twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. I will keep this intro brief. You are currently well aware how crappy the weather continues to be. There is no reason to belabor that point anymore, even though there is sunshine. Yes, the actual sun. All week here in the nation's capital, so that should make everyone pretty happy. But back on point to why you're listening, uh, Mr. Jorge Castillo of the Washington Post, the beat writer that covers the team, uh, was able to join me last week. Uh, we had a spirited discussion about all things about this basketball team that everyone should find very beneficial. The topics we discussed, uh, Jorge was actually at the NBA Draft Lottery up in New York, Talked about his experience with that. Uh, we went, obviously, deep into the obituary of the Washington Wizards' disappointing season. Kind of some, maybe some pivotal moments of discussed the various issues of what went wrong. Uh, we went into Randy Whitman's uh, departure, the, the events around his firing, kind of what Corey thought about all of that. Uh, the hiring of Scott Brooks broke down the process a little bit. Went into the Wizards' uh, plan, quote-unquote plan, otherwise known as the excuse that the ownership gives to keep this front office around for a decade and a half plus going on. Uh, So kind of went into the particulars of what is that plan specifically. Went into the salary cap situation of the team, possible free agency options out there. Do they make some trades? Do they buy into the draft? Discuss Kevin Durant his free agency, the KD to DC hashtag, where that is at, what Jorge has heard around the grapevine about Kevin Durant's thought process. Because we will continually talk about this on that show until Kevin Durant decides what he wants to do. And as as the July 1st opening of free agency looms, that topic uh, will become more and more to the forefront. We talked about Tomas Sandoransky, who currently is playing in Spain from the Czech Republic, the Wizards' second-round draft pick from 2012. The reports of him finally coming over uh, potentially this summer and playing uh, for the Wizards and the buyout options, all the items related to what has to happen in the timetable of him coming over and finally playing for the Wizards uh, uh, this, this fall for training camp. And John Wall's knee injury, we ended on a bad note. But when your franchise uh, player goes through two knee procedures, one fairly major 
we have to talk about it, unfortunately. Everyone, enjoy my discussion with Jorge. All right, joining me, my guest. Been trying to make this happen again. This is the second time he's been on the podcast. Uh, last year, it was during the summer, I believe, for the first time. Um, the beat writer for the Washington Wizards of the Washington Post, Mr. Jorge Castilla. Jorge, what is up, man? How are you? Not much, man. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing well. I, I'm just, you know, just bitching about the rain every day. I, I, even though today it's sunny out, so um, it, it's, it's I just bitch about the weather a lot. Which, which my listeners of my podcast show, they, they definitely enjoy that. Uh, but no, dude, uh, so, you know, it's been a few few weeks uh, since the season's ended. I don't know, I guess two or three, almost a month now at this point. What, what's it been like for you? Did you need a break? Yeah, well, it's been a change of pace. I mean, you know, first week or so was, uh, you know, the whole culture change and all that. And there, was, there was some stuff going on and... You know, keeping been busy. You know, John John Wall's uh, surgery, uh, another thing that kind of came up. And you know, I don't know, as you probably saw, you know, just uh, I was at the lottery. Um, just keeping busy, man. Just a couple different things I want to get done in the summer, and and just all free agency is gonna get crazy in about very soon. So uh, there's always something to to keep track of and then, um, kind of work on. Oh, it's gonna be a nuts. That those four or five weeks in July. Uh, July and August are going to be insane, aren't they? But let's get back to the big lottery. I know you were just in New York there a couple of days ago. Well, how'd that come about? Uh, you were one of the, what, 12 people in the room that actually saw the numbers, uh, which also ended up being all chalk, which is the first time in a while, I, I believe. But how did that come about, and what was that experience like? Um, well, basically, it was, uh, I think it was Scott Hall with the, with the Wizards, the PR, head PR uh, official for the Wizards, uh, reached out to me saying that the NBA asked him if I was in, if I was, if I would be interested. And, you know, I said I was. I talked to my boss. Uh, he said, sounds good. Sounds good. You can get a couple stories out of it. And I did. And it worked out. It was a cool experience. You know, um, you always see it. And I'm growing up, I always saw it on TV. It wasn't until a few years ago that I realized that it's not actual, it's not how it works. Um, you know, it just shows, it just shows basically a sham. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's a made for TV event. Um, to make it an age for TV event, and it's not really how it works. So being behind the scenes is interesting. Um, there was some tension. The tension kind of mounts, especially, though, you know, with that first pick. Um, it was interesting seeing the reaction um, and stuff. I, I think it would have been a lot more interesting, though, if, uh, if someone had jumped up, like, a few spots or something. Like, you know, that would have been more of a holy crap type of thing. I, I've heard in the past, you know, when Cleveland, for example, got – the number one pick when they got Kyrie Irving, um, the reaction in there was pretty priceless. So I was hoping for something like that, but you know, it went chalk and um, it was actually sort of uh, boring. <laughs> it's kind of boring. Well, it's like a it's like a lotto, right? Or Ke- I guess Keno for those people that know what the game Keno is, right? Like the numbers just pop up, and then you're looking for combinations. Yeah. So there was this whole board on the um, you know the right one side of the room. Had all the one thousand one combinations. There was one combination that didn't that didn't have a team, and the other thousand had you know were divided by teams. But the Wizards, for example, had six combinations, and all six started with nine. Which you know was interesting because the third pick, uh, the number started the first ball. The first of the four balls was a nine. Oh wow! And I looked over at Scott Hall. Yeah, who's, who's, I looked over at Scott Hall, who was representing the Wizards in the room. And he just smiled, and I could tell you know he knew. I mean, I you know we both knew that that was the only way the Wizards would get a pick, would get the third pick. 
basically they got a nine, but the second number didn't go their way. Um, so that was very fleeting. So um, it was cool. Just like, um, yeah, so that entire board had all the all the combinations. They had this, you know, lottery machine that they, you know, this company, I forgot the name of the company, I think it's Smart Play or something. They create all the lottery machines around the country that you see on TV for like your, you know, lottery at six or whatever on your news program. Um, so it was, uh, it was interesting. It was, uh, did, it was did, cool so did, did they lock you in this room afterwards? Did you have to stay here? I saw you tweet about how you couldn't have your phone for a while. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you just go into a room and they have like these, you know, manila envelopes and, uh, everyone, you know, everyone there puts their phone and you got, you got a smart watch, um, anything. Record or anything, um, you put it in there, um, you know, and put your name on it. Um, all conversations are off the record unless you specifically ask if you can go on the record. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird being with on my phone. I think I reached for it about 20 times. <laughs> it's, so, like, it's like, I always think like keys, like keys, keys, wallet, phone, you know, at the other night, I'm like, okay, I got those three things, like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what? So then I saw that you wrote, you hung out with Carl Anthony Towns, and I know that there was connection with former Wizards coach, uh, you know, rest in peace, Flip Saunders. What, what, what went on there? I saw you wrote, wrote an article today about that. Yeah, so basically I just uh, I met up with him. Um, he was doing an autograph session at the Chance Sports in Times Square, and just uh, I got uh, a be um, with him. Um, his parents were there. Um, one of his representatives with uh, his agency. Um, he went someone else and then the car, the, the driver. And it was cool. It was, you know, it was like a 12 block ride that lasted 20 minutes. His traffic around was crazy. And just we talked, we just interviewed him. Um, it was cool. Just like really down to earth guy. Uh, you know, who has, might be the, he's basically the future of the NBA. Um, you know, he's, uh, to, I was joking around with someone the other day. He's like Tim Dunphy with personality. Um, yes. it's, it's, a, it's, it's pretty much a, it's a very interesting player. I think he's going to be, you know, just based on his rookie season and just personality. I mean, he's if, if you were to do a, a draft right now, you know, start a franchise within the league. I mean, he's 20 years old. He may even be the first guy you choose. So, um, very interesting player and just personality. And um, the Timberwolves, to me, are the team of the future in the NBA. Sort of a lot of people are making a comparison to the Thunder from the early two, the 2010s. You know, obviously when uh, they went to the they jump from 23 to 50 wins, um, which is something I think that the Timberwolves can, I don't know about 50 wins, but they can jump um, to, into the playoffs next season. Yeah, I mean, Wizards fans will definitely remember him in that second game, that double overtime victory. He was he was outstanding. Uh, so let's talk about the Washington Wizards. We've buried the lead here, Jorge. Uh, we buried the lead. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to get some positive stories before we went into the autopsy segment of this podcast discussion. Okay, when did you specifically know, was there a seminal moment of the season? Like, I have a couple personally where it, it's kind of hard because, you know, you as a beat writer, me doing my thing here with the podcast and on the blog, is that, you know, they were never mathematically eliminated until that Pistons loss, right, at the end of the season. So technically, you know, you're still in it, you're still in it, you know, the next game, the next game. But when I look back, when did you? I remember some specific moments where I'm like, "Oh my god! Like this team is not going to put it together. Like they're not going to make the playoffs." Did you have one of those moments? Um, well, there were different moments where you realize that the team wasn't going to be as good as sort of the majority of observers thought they were going to be. So you know, by like that was pretty. That was early on. You know, by 
the end of January. Like the team just, just you know, beginning of February, the team's just not going to be as good as we thought. Um, but I think the moment when I realized the team is not going to make the playoffs was in the, the game you mentioned when they lost to the Timberwolves. Yeah. Which I wasn't at. That was one of, that was one of the games. Oh, really? Oh, God. Oh, God. I, 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 I did watch it on TV. Uh, yeah, that, that that game was just a, you know, that that, that West Coast trip right afterward. And you know they were up there in Beach Bowl and Staple and State. Yeah. You, you know, uh, the Clippers were on there. You know, that was going to be a tough game. You know, they, they nearly pulled it out. They made a pretty close game. Um, you know, that was a game where they just put too much pressure on themselves. It, that, that West Coast trip became like a, they needed to go like four and one. And that's just, you know, that wasn't going to happen with this team. So, then they lose to Sacramento on that trip. It's not like, all right, it's definitely over now. But that, that Minnesota game, yeah. that's a game you can't lose. No matter how much talent the Timberwolves have, um, oh. you know, they're a very talented they're team. They're up seven with um, like two minutes to make left. The I mean, they're up four right. with like two seconds left. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You can't collapse like that. And this free throws on this right. Gortat, just, uh, Gortat, missed those, Gortat missed those huge free throws. But that was when that was your moment. Yeah. So for for me, it was well. You'll yeah. remember, you'll remember this was was the Utah and Denver road games where they completely collapsed in those two games. That's when I was like, oh my right. god, like this team can't be. You know, Utah was a little bit better, but they hadn't been playing well. Denver had their second string and just smoked them in the fourth quarter. Now the Wizards did come back and win five in a row. After that, of course, to, to tease everyone, but I felt like that was really the the difference, or not difference, but kind of when I was like, "Oh my god, this team is just like giving up and must win victories of teams they should beat." Yeah, that that Denver game was, was stunning. The way it is surprising the way it panned out. Uh, they were up in the fourth quarter and just DJ Augustine just turned into <laughs> yes. awesome. eleven. I think he had like eleven points and seven assists in the fourth quarter, which is ridiculous. Um, they couldn't figure out. Um, how to defend a pick and roll, <laughs> and afterwards, obviously, all the football, about you know the pick and roll defense, John Wall and Jared Dudley, obviously, basically criticizing the way they've been playing defense in that Utah and Denver game. Um, so yeah, that was that. Those were two. I mean, we could point to so many games. Oh I mean, God, so I many, right? How about the Pacers? How about the Pacers game at home on Thursday night, right? Right, right. That game, too. Dan Cyber wrote, um, you know, seven or whatever games at the worst loss. <laughs> yes. I forget how many. But his, his honorable mention was just as long. So it's just, you know, um, there's think, so many games. You just kind of like, you know, a bucket here, a bucket there, a foul here, here a free throw there. And uh, things are different. Um, but you know what? The good teams, you know, the better teams win those games. Um, you can't miss free throws. They did, you know, after the all-star break. They were one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the NBA. Just, they just... You know, it's just the way it happened. It's that kind of season. I don't think the injuries, the injuries at the beginning of the season, not to make an excuse, you know, didn't help. It kind of, they got on the wrong, off on the wrong foot. Um, but, you know, they were healthy, um, after the new year for the most part, um, you know, from like February on. They just never put it together. Yeah. So let's go back into, you know, I know you wrote a really nice piece at the end of the season. You kind of went through all the reasons for this. When you kind of look back at it now that you've had some time to reflect, I mean, what happened in the season? I mean, what was what was the main thing that you would say uh, from a, your main takeaways of why this season was such a lost season? Um, it just so that's the thing. In that thing I wrote, it's tough to say one thing. It just it all kind of snowballed. Um, the, like I said, the injuries at the beginning of the season they didn't get off from, you know, on the right foot. Um, that didn't help. You know, Bradley Beal's the second best player on the team. You know, when you miss. He put a you know career low in games. You know, everyone was talking about how he, the first three years he 
you know, was always off the court, always injured. He played in the fewest games he's ever played. So you don't have your second best player, you're just not as good as uh, of a team. But that certainly didn't help. Um, and being he's coming off the bench for a bit, uh, which I just didn't really understand um, the way they decided to go about that for limited minutes. That that surely didn't help. Um, you know, the whole pace and space thing, like you know, whatever you want to call it, trying to turn Chris Humphries into a three-point shooter is an unmitigated disaster. Um, and they and they realized it very quickly. I think it was 14 games of the season, you saw Jared Dudley in the starting lineup. And Jared Dudley's a guy who will tell you himself, he's not, he's a, you know, best best serve coming off the bench. Um, you know, so you had Jared Dudley starting at the four and, you know, not going out and getting an Omri Caxby or somebody who, who could play that four and just a natural stretch four. Um, you know, that didn't help, um, you know, that first month, that first uh, month of the season. Um, so, and then obviously when they did the whole pace and space thing, the defense fell off. Guys were out of shape. John Wall was out of shape. Getting totally. Coming into the season. You, you, you talk, you talk to, you know, if you talk to people in the organization, they'll tell you that, um, he, uh, you know, was out of shape and as a point guard in, in that system, um, that's, we saw, you saw that, you saw that in his numbers in November, right? Yeah, his numbers in November weren't good. Um, you asked John to say he just didn't play well, but you know I think him coming in out of shape um, didn't help. Um, so that just getting on that you know, that combination right there, the injuries early on, Chris Humphrey's disaster, um, guys being out of shape, trying to you know play this new style um, on top of it. You know if you play this new style, you want to run up and down the way it did. Um, you know the beginning of the season. I mean the pace slowed down over the course of the season. The beginning of the year they're running you know up and down. Yeah. Um, quite a bit, um, and playing defense is basically just, you know, having the energy and, you know, the effort. Um, defense is, I know everyone kind of mocks the way Randy Whitman just talked about effort and all that. <laughs> defense, you know, if you don't try, you know, defense is boring, man. It's like, no one wants to play defense if it's exhausting. If you, you know, if you're, if you're worried about running up and down the floor and, you know, having life to shoot and all that, you're defense, you're, you know, you, you're not really in shape. You know, you want to pick a, you know, you have to break from the defensive end, um, and that's what they did a lot of times. Why, so, why, why, do, why, do you think why, why do you think it fell off? I mean, because aside from, you know, the main core was pretty much back from the year prior, and I know they're playing a different, you know, pace and space, but, you know, guarding their guys, and it just seemed, especially at the beginning of the year, I mean, they were at historic, giving up historic numbers at three-point line. And, and what did you see? Like, what was the drop-off? Was it John Wall slipping? Was it bad rotations? Was it just obviously maybe everything? Was there anything that stood out? What's the difference between, you know, a top-five elite defense to you know, one of the worst three-point defenses in the league, let alone, you know, bottom third of, of the league, and, and probably why Ray Whitman's not coaching anymore? Well, well, I think it started with John Wall. I think he fell off defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, all numbers indicated whatever metrics, you know, defensive metrics are perfect by any means and so on. But last year, uh, he was one of the better point guards in the league defensively. This year, he was not close. Um, so, you know, when your point guard is not defending the same, as, you know, as he did last season, that kind of has a, you know, a trickle-down effect. Um, there was, you know, a whole pick-and-roll defense thing came yeah. up, and they, they could have just sent pick-and-rolls. You know, depending on who you talk to, they, you know, they had different reasons, you know, the coaches will say, you know, the guys aren't executing right. The guys will say, well, the, you know, these players are not making enough adjustments. Uh, you know, show the map when he lit, when he lit them up in oh, Utah. Uh, so, you know, so it's like... They're pointing a lot of fingers, right? They're pointing a lot of fingers. 
Yeah, you know, and then, um, you know, when you go with, with Jared Dudley at the four, and you know, then, hey, um, rebounding takes a, takes a bit of a hit. Um, yeah. Jared, Jared, Dudley was obviously better defending in the perimeter, but that was a problem they had all last season, right? Um, defending, you know, the Paul Millsaps of the world. Um, but, you know, when you, you do the trade-off, and, you know, the interior defense takes quite a bit of hit and rebounding, so, um, it's a lot, man. It's just it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to unpack. Um, yeah, and it's also difficult because you you try to ask questions and try to get in their minds. You don't always, you know, we as observers on the outside, um, as much as we like to say we know what's going on. You know, you never know. Um, exactly. Yeah, stories stuff came out afterwards. You know, uh, um, you know about guys saying that Randy women didn't really listen to their suggestions and whatnot. It stuff comes out afterwards, but in, in the moment, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I'll probably, I'll never will. Yeah. Um, there'll, be, there'll be stuff, there's stuff that we don't know about um, behind the scenes well, uh, that happens. That, 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 that touches into my next question about chemistry. How much do you think chemistry played a role in this? Is it just one of those times where, you know, if everyone wins, then everyone says the chemistry is good, and if it, the people lose, they say it's bad? Is it one of those things? And how much do you think that all those players on the last year, their deals impacted this. It was so the most interesting quote Randy Women might have given all season was uh, after the last game when uh, I asked him about you know did it have an effect you know having all these guys in last year to the deal and he flat out said I've never seen it work in my 32 years in the NBA. Oh wow! Uh, I missed that like, oh yeah, he, he yeah he, he said that so um, you know basically throwing. The uh, architect of the roster on the bus there, um, you know, two hours or an hour before he got fired. Um, <laughs> so, and you know what? That's an indication. If, if he's all season, you know, I think that's, I might have, might have asked him that question three different times, three different ways over the course of the season. Um, and I, I would ask different guys that. And they'd be like, no, that's not a problem. You know, guys are playing good contract. Um, you know, if you don't play well, if you don't win, you know, that's going to hurt your uh, earning potential down the line. But I do think there was some chemistry uh, problems. I, I think there was a lack of leadership. I think there was uh, accountability wasn't always there. Um, guys thought that Randy women didn't keep all guys accountable. Um, you know, played favorites in a way. Or just didn't really want to uh, get in guys' faces to criticize guys, whether it's in the film room or whatnot. Um, so there was definitely some... And a lack of leadership is a real thing. You know, like Paul Pierce, you know... I feel like sometimes you can kind of over, you know, you can be sort of hyperbole when it comes to, you know, guys that impact. Um, savvy veteran leader, right? The savvy veteran leader. Right, right. right. But I think, yeah, but I think it actually matters with Paul Pierce. I think he brought yeah. a turn, you know, he'd be like, you know, in the locker room, he'd tell guys, hey, let's get together. And, you know, guys listen to him because he had a championship and, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer and he had this certain swagger by him. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but last year when they were eliminated or right before the elimination, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when he mentioned this whole thing about, you know, guys going out partying and, you know, uh, I think these guys have to realize, you know, you have to put their work in over 82 games. And Randy Women indicated that again this season, um, after that last game saying, you know, these guys have to realize, have to realize, um, you have to go over, over the course of an 82 game season, you have to come ready to play every night. You can't just take nights off and all that. So, um, so do you think this is a, do you think this is a hit on John Wall's leadership? Do you think they need another player like by Paul Pierce or can John Wall? You know, I've seen him evolve. You know, I've been covering this team his whole time that he's been here, and I've seen him evolve. 
But, you know, once again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? And I don't know what how much respect level it is. I mean, he plays hard. He's the leader. He's the franchise. He seems to get along with everyone personality-wise compared to other stars. I know me and you have discussed this privately, I think, on the podcast before last time. But is, is John Wall, do they need another guy like Paul Pierce? You know, I mean, I know Dudley tried, Dudley tried to be that leader this year, but I don't think he commanded the respect the way that Paul Pierce did, I guess. Right. I mean, the thing is, is not Paul, Paul Pierce is just hanging out, you know. Yes, yes. Or, all, so, all fame guys talking shit. You know, yeah. Right, yeah. Paul Pierce, you know, there's isn't a future Hall of Famer, you know, with a championship ring, you know, chilling on July 1st to the 13th. So, um, well, what about they're going to need to figure it out. I, 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 think, I think Alan Anderson would have been a yeah. – he's not the same as Paul Pierce, by any means. He's not in terms of, you know, the pedigree and stuff, but – he, he commanded respect. Guy said that um, you know he was always around and he had some leadership. But it's also like when a guy's not playing, you can't really say you can't really do much because you look over and be like, yeah, you're not playing. Like, Why am I listening to you? Um, you've been hurt the entire season, um, which is something that is real. So um, I think they were depending on him for, for some leadership, and yeah. he was hurt the entire year. So that didn't help. Um, That's true. But you know, uh, if you're gonna play, you know, if you're gonna play Bradley Beal and, and John, well, probably Bradley Beal. You know, my All expectation is he's going to get a max deal close to it. If you're going to pay guys, you know, max money, John got a max, basically a max extension a few years ago. If you're going to pay him that money, they have to, they have to turn out to be your leaders. Uh, or whoever's the third guy is, you know, if you want to get a third guy out of the summer, uh, those guys need to be the leaders. They're the best players on the team. They're, they're the guys that are going to command the most respect. So, um, these guys need to evolve. Yeah, no, that was one of the questions I asked Bradley Beal at the post-game uh, availability is about his leadership. I didn't ask it well enough because he gave me the whole, like, yes, I want to be a leader. But what I was really trying to get at was his quotes in, in Sacramento, uh, you know, after that game, and he was frustrated, and he was saying, you know, guys, need to step it up, and you know who you are, and we're talking, and your experience, I think you asked those questions, and you were there. What was your takeaway from all that? Or do we do we lead too much into it because obviously he was frustrated, the season was going down the drain, or what was he actually talking about? Um, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> um, it was really unexpected. You know, Riley's very measured in in the way he talks. Um, and you know, whenever he assesses uh, you know, a game or whatnot or the team. Um, but he didn't regret it. I followed up with him a few days later in Los Angeles. He's like, no, nah, I meant what I said. Um, and it's just frustration um, that he thought they were going to be better. Everyone in that room that, you know, in that Sacramento locker room thought they were going to be better. Um, and there were times you look at, you look on the floor and it, that did seem the guys were giving up. Um, you know, yeah. that given that weren't really into it. Like he said, like guys weren't running back on defense. Guys were frustrated. Guys were yelling at each other. Yes. And that's always the product of losing, you know, like, you know, if you lose way more than you expect to lose, you know, you're losing to a dysfunctional team team, you know, who's two best players at the end of the game got tossed for like whatever it was for just dumb, dumb stuff. Um, you know, it's just Rondo. Yeah, Rondo so, Cousins. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever it was, I forget exactly what happened. But like, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah, he, he, he had a point. He got it off his chest. And it's stuff, well, stuff that you kind of notice in terms of guys, it's just effort not always being there. Yeah, ever being there. So, 
Wait, let's talk about Randy Whitman uh, before we move on. We'll talk about Scott Brooks. We can, let's, let's wrap up the rest of the season. So, Whitman's departure. I mean, it was a crazy few days there. You got the reports that come out of the media. Um, you know, the, that last game, all that. Before I get into that, what I want to ask you specifically, when do you think the team knew that they were going to get rid of uh, Randy Whitman? What do you think they, made, think they, they, think they, they made their decision? Uh, I would say by... I'd say March. March. I'd say that was that was close trade. Yeah. I think by then, um, before then, it was. I think players kind of realized it. I think the decision was made um, by the you know guys, the you know higher ups that if the team didn't make the playoffs, or even if they did make the playoffs, they make the playoffs and they still like didn't kind of really in the first round. Is that really progress? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we finished a game or two better. Um, so I think that decision was made. You know, March, um, early March. So. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Now, what, what 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 was it like to deal with Wendy Women? Uh, I know you've dealt with him uh, more than more than almost anyone. I guess save Jay Michael and Chris Miller. What was it like to deal with him over the last couple of years? And how would you, can, in comparison, maybe to how other coaches that you have to interview? Yeah. Well, he was guarded. I mean, we all know we, you. You guys see the press conferences and um, read the quotes and whatnot. Like he was super guarded. Uh, that was just his style. Um, you know, guys take a Bobby Knight disciple. Oh, he's a Bobby Knight disciple. I don't know how much you take it from him or if that's just his personality. He was guarded, but it was never personal. Um, you know, you kind of took it for what it was. He didn't want to give you information. You have to go all the way. You did it all the way to get it. You know, players, the roster was just great in terms of, you know, being a little more transparent um, with what's going on. Uh, so I just thought you have to maneuver um, in other ways. So that was just his style. I learned that early on. Um, but it was never personal. It was always we had a good professional relationship, um, and uh, that's just how it was. Man, I think Scott Brooks is a little different. Uh, yes, so far, that's my, right. my impression. We'll, we'll, we'll get to him. So, so, so Gortat gave an interview the other day in the Polish media that we had on our blog, and he basically mentioned at the end of the season, after the last game, Whitman was in the locker room, and it was curious quotes of him talking about hanging out with him, working out in the summer with these guys. Uh, the end of the press conference, Whitman was quotes was like, "I'm not going to leave here until you know they tell me to leave." And he literally was fired five ten minutes after that. Was he unaware that he was going to get fired? Because there was media reports circulating all week. Or was that just Whitman? I mean, I'm Whitman? sure they had an idea. Right, I'm sure they had an idea. Um, I haven't spoken to him um, at length since yes. um, this happened since he, since he was fired. Um, but I'm sure he had an idea. He reads stuff. He, read, he, he was reading what was going on. Um, I wrote that he was a good chance he was going to get fired. Um, I think Brian Winhorst had it on a, on a radio show. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it was out there. Um, you know, it, it wasn't cinched until, you know, after he talked about in the locker room. I'm, so I'm sure he was just talking, you know, hey, being positive, whatever. I'll see you guys this summer. And it's, you know, maybe, I don't want to say fake as it was or just, just optimistic. Um, but I'm sure he had an inkling. Um, he's huge reading stuff. Um, the Wizards weren't going out of their way to deny it. Um, you know, Ernie Grunfeld wasn't going out giving him, a, you know, an assurance that he was going to be back next season by any stretch. So, you know, I'm sure he had an inkling. What was your, what's your personal experience of that night? Because that was pretty crazy, right? I knew you tweeted out immediately that Randy Whitman had been uh, left, but I watched, I, I watched that press conference live of him, and then immediately I saw your tweet, like, Moments later, it seemed like. 
Right, yeah, so I was just in the locker room and I got work. So, in the tweet, I just went back to writing, basically. Because we were doing exit interviews that night, too, which is, um, you yeah, know, so there was a lot going on. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a crazy night. He was he was fired, you know, basically he met with our Ernie Grunfeld, Tommy Shepard, uh, I think it was a player's lounge at, at um, Verizon Center soon after uh, his press conference um, with the media. So, um, that happened all very quickly, and, you know, moved on to Scott Brooks. Yeah, let's move on to Scott Brooks. So, you immediately report, uh, I think it was you, the vertical, multiple places, that Scott Brooks was one of the candidates uh, of the job. You know, I don't know if it was less than a week or later that they got Scott Brooks lined up. He's signed five-year deal, $35 million, seven-year guaranteed a year. Uh what what was your takeaway before we get into the pros and cons of Scott Brooks? Just your takeaway of the process because I've been trying to separate this, and I wrote about this on the blog, and a lot of fans were upset about the process that they didn't they didn't interview anyone else that they they went for Scott Brooks, they paid you know they went after him and got him. Now on the flip side, you could argue Jorge that hey, you targeted a guy who has a. 60% winning percentage as a coach, been to the finals, respected dude in the league, paid his dues, and there's other teams that maybe wanted him, and you paid a price to get him instead of playing out the process, interview process. What is your take on all that? Like, should the, do you see that there is no, that, you know, a Frank Vogel maybe comes open, right, if they wait this out? Or the, like the benefits and uh, positives and negatives of doing how they approach the actual hiring process first before we get into Scott Brooks himself? Well, I guess um, you know, in, in a vacuum, you would think maybe he's interviewing other guys. Um, maybe a light bulb comes out, you know, turns out like, oh, this is the guy we need instead of the guy that we have in mind. Uh, maybe you just interview other guys and sort of bounce ideas off them, and you know, what they think of their team and this sort of basketball and strategy, or whatever. Just hearing different guys, you know, philosophies and what they would do with the team. But also the way you know the way the Wizards are spinning it is uh, we we saw our guy, we got our guy. For anybody else to get in, that's who we wanted. That's who we wanted all along. You know, the Rockets were lurking. A couple of teams were lurking. Um, we had to go out and we had to do it, uh, and, it and we did it. Um, so you know, there's value in that. It depends on how you look at it. Um, they're not the only team that did it this way. You know, the Pacers just hired Nicky McMillan without basically interviewing anybody else here. So um, you know, there are teams that had a long interview, like the Kings. I don't know how many people they interviewed them. One of the, must have been a dozen. The, rock, the, rock, uh, the, still, the Rockets are still interviewing, aren't they? <laughs> right, right. And I think Tony might be the guy. But, like, you know, the Kings, for example, interviewed maybe a dozen, I don't know exactly the number, but maybe a dozen people, and they ended up with a guy who was fired, like, two days earlier. Uh, <laughs> yes. so, That's right. Um, you know, it's, the process is no, there's no science to this yes. process. Um, you know, whether it's hiring within, going to a, you know, assistant coach elsewhere, going with a retread, um, like Scotty Brooks says. Um, you know, there's, there's no art to it. Um, if it's a disaster, the process is forgotten. If it's a success, the, the, progress, the process is forgotten. <laughs> no one really cares about the process. Um, yes. Um, I, I, the game starts. Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's like I can, 
this is probably the last process question I'll have to anyone. It's like, yeah, I can keep bitching, but it's like, yo, dude, like, he's the coach. Like, it's not going to change, right? It's like, he's the coach. Right. <laughs> like, they made a decision. You may agree or not agree with it, but then you can, you have to evaluate it from then on, right? You can't sit like, spinning your wheels and bitching about this process isn't going to accomplish much. It is curious that Dave Yeager gets, like, 12 million guaranteed uh, from the Kings and Scott Brooks gets 20. 35, 23 more million when I don't know if they're that much difference of coaches, but hey, strike while the iron is hot. But what are, what are, what are the pros and cons that come up with Scott Brooks when, when you when you think about him as the new coach of the Wizards? Well, the pros is he's, um, you know, I know there was, uh, there's plenty of, you know, criticism in terms of, you know, of how divided minutes, you know, keeping, you know, Durant and Westbrook on the floor at all times. The rotations were criticized. Uh, you know, using Kendrick Perkins in the 2012 finals. Yeah. Um, way too much, uh, against the Heat. Um, you know, that's all valid criticisms. Um, you know, he's, he had two of the five best players in the NBA. Um, you know, for most of the time, James Harden also, um, when they were coming up. But he also was the guy who sort of developed them. I mean, he questioned how much development, um, Kevin Durant needed um, and Russell Westbrook, but I don't think any people thought Russell Westbrook was going to be as good as he is right now. Um, I don't know how much credit you get to Scott Brooks. I don't know how much credit you get to Russell Westbrook. I don't think anybody thought Serge Ibaka was going to be this good. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, how much do you credit to Scott Brooks? How much do you credit to uh, Serge Ibaka? Um, you know, the uh, the injuries, people forget, I mean, every, it seemed like every season after that, they made the finals, they had an injury in the playoffs or something. Um, you know, he was fired after winning 45 games basically without Kevin Durant. Yes. Um, so he's coach. He, you know, he's a, he had a top five defense basically every year until that last year when Kevin Durant didn't play. Um, he's, a, you know, guys love playing for him. I think Kevin Durant in the first round of playoffs, he was asked about something about Scott Brooks and what a belly done and better and whatnot. And he went out his way to defend Scott Brooks this time in Oklahoma City. Um, so, you know, it's, again, like he, he probably may, maybe should have won it. I don't know. Um, Maybe should have won a championship when a winning championship is, is difficult. He, he did get the youngest team, I think, ever to the finals in, in 2012. But, um, there, there are valid, there are valid criticisms. Um, obviously he's been a, a, a away from the sport for a year, um, you know, not coaching for a year. So maybe he learned a bit. Um, we don't know exactly behind the scenes whether, you know, when it came to playing Perkins over whoever in the 2012 finals, for example, we don't really have all the information. Um, or in terms of splitting up Westbrook and, and Durant in, in rotations, whether you know Durant was against it or Westbrook was against it, or whatever the case may be, we don't know. Um, but you know, I think he's a good coach. You know, um, yes, I think it did worse, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like people don't want to hear yeah. that. I'm like, I'm okay with Scott Brooks. I can be talked into him. I mean, I can find pros and cons. The team could do worse. It just people. Uh, and this will go into my other one about about the front office and ownership here in a little bit. But what do you think that um, it seems like the pros maybe is him developing Ubre and Porter, right? Like 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 the development yeah, of those two are, are very key in this team making the next step. Right. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know how much you credit guys in his coaching staff or him himself, or he's going to hire the same guys in his coaching staff. Which I'm trying to I'm trying to figure it out myself. Um, so, yeah, how much do you credit him for? The, the Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant developing three on James Harden, Jeff Green for a bit, and 
um, Serge Ibaka and Steven Adams, you know, all those guys. You know, those are good, those are good players. Guys, they basically all drafted um, and sort of developed. So, um, yeah, Otto Porter, I, I was looking through the, the all-rookie team list today on the votes, and once I missed it, Kelly Uber didn't get a single point. There were a lot of guys on the, you know, all He did it. He did it. I thought Kelly Uber um, was better than a couple of them, but... I'm not sure. I'm about to look at it again here. Um, but I don't think he did. There were a lot of guys who got at least one point. So, um, and he showed potential. You know, um, there was that 15 game stretch or whatever. He started with a few games and Otto was hurt. Yeah. Um, he played really well, um, up, up in Brooklyn when him and Jarrell Eddie sort of took over the fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> Strange that sound, but, um, no, around, sort of around, showed, around um, Christmas time, right? It was around the Christmas time. Yeah, it was a day after Christmas. So he showed potential. Um, and he saw the rotation afterwards. Uh, I think part of it is Randy Whitman was coaching for his job. Um, and he was like, and he's always a guy who's trusted veterans over, over younger guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird when Marcus Thornton is playing huge minutes and he got on the team a week earlier. JJ Hicks. Yes. Yeah, JJ Hicks or whatever. You know, um, you know, that's when he was, I don't know if he, you know, for a mistake or whatnot, that's the way Randy Woman won the coach, and that's the way it happened. And Kelly Ubre didn't play as much as maybe a lot of people wanted, as much as Kelly Ubre wanted. I think a lot, a lot, as much as a lot of people in the front, people in the front office wanted. Um, and he could have played more and, and very more effective. Because then it, be, it became a thing where, like, towards the end of the season, he'd be in the, again at the end of the first half, and he'd just feel like he just was out there. He felt he had really had to impress. Oh, his, um, his confidence was shot, so I thought. Don't you think? Yeah. And he, he, I remember he had three fouls like, in a minute in Miami. Like, yes. He, yeah. It was just, it, it was just, you know, it was pressure. It's pressure. Your confidence, like you said, gets shot. Um, and when you're out there for two minutes at a time, it's, you know, difficult to perform that way as a rookie. So, um, yeah, you, you hope. I think there's a hope there that Scott Brooks, if Kelly Oubre and Otto Porter are around, yeah, what have you heard of uh, coaching hires of Scott Brooks' staff? Is there anything out there? I mean, Mo Cheeks, I know, has been with him for a while. I looked, I tried to look and see his last staff before. It seemed like most of his guys kind of scattered around. I think there's maybe a couple OKC holdovers. Uh, have you heard any buzz, any word of who? What type of coaches he might bring in? I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything very specific. I think he, uh, you know, waits till playoffs over. Um, gotcha. I think he's worked with someone on uh, Toronto staff in the past. Okay. Um, you know, obviously Oklahoma City. Um, there's a couple guys he's worked with. Um, so I think once the playoffs are over, I think it'll the uh, staff will be sort of put together. But I do expect David Atkins to stick around. He's the play development guy. Incidentally, he is also probably Kevin Durant. Oh, we're, we're going to get to him. We, we went 40 minutes in this podcast without talking about him. But uh, before we get to him, <laughs> is that the press conference happens. And I was not able to make the Scott Brooks press conference, but Ernie Grunfeld was there, and so was Ted since They deflected all questions to Scott Brooks. But I know that afterwards there was a press availability uh, that Ted Neonsons finally spoke to the press for the first time. I, I saw that you had mentioned, I, and I'd been ranting on a podcast about it, I think I featured it on a blog post about how you had requested to interview him about what's going on with the team, and he had declined. Was this the first time you had talked to him in a long time? And and I'm going to get into what he said, but finally getting, you know, interviewing Ted and Ernie, who don't aren't really available around as much, and I don't think sometimes fans really understand that. 
Well, yeah, that was the first time I talked to Turk Leonsis on the record since that um, last yeah. summer, I think. That, that event? That, that, that event I was at? Yeah, that event. <laughs> really? Yeah, that analytics experiment or something. Oh, okay. so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So, yeah, so that was the first time in a while. But, um, yeah, you basically asked him about the plan, why he decided to keep turning around, um, why he decided to go so quickly after Scott Brooks, and he answered the questions, and they had their reasons. Uh, I think it's interesting now, something that we haven't mentioned is that uh, the pressure now on Ernie Grunfeld to, to come through here. Um, yes. this, you know, this, this plan that they, that they talked about, um, this is sort of the third phase of it, you know, adding the talent to the core that they have to take that next step. Um, you know, the pressure of this guy, sort of, you know, Bernie women took the fall. Scott yes. Brooks is not going to take the fall. He's getting a five-year, $35 million contract. Um, he's not taking the fall anytime soon. He's, he's here for a long haul. Um, Ernie Grunfeld is not the one with, uh, who will take the fall if the team doesn't perform as they should next season or they want to next season. So this is a big summer for him. And Ted basically said as much. Um, Ted said, you know, Ernie, Ernie Grunfeld's job is never in jeopardy. They were just going along with the plan. The plan's still intact um, in terms of, you know, have them having the money to add players, you know, via trade or via free agency. Um, so we'll see how the plan goes. Yes, I know. Okay, I think this is where we get into trouble with fans, too, is that when I explain what the team is doing, they think that, like, I would do that. <laughs> like, I'm the one, or I'm advocating for that. I'm just trying to explain what I'm getting from the information of management or what they're actually doing, right? And so, they, because a lot of fans, and I'm sure you're well aware, you probably learned it maybe day two on this job, are not fans of Ernie Grunfeld at whatsoever. They want a new leadership. And so then when Scott Brooks gets hired or Manny Whitman gets fired, they're like, well, why don't we hire a new team president? And, why, and then why is it such a big summer? Why is he still in charge? And then his press conferences, is Ernie's very good at these elongated platitudes that just frustrate people with no answers. But, but before I get into that, just explain to me to the people, to people listening, like what they tell you their plan is. This three-year plan that Ted says to justify why Ernie's still in place, correct? That the plan is still in place that they, that they came up with. Can you maybe explain that in detail to the people so they're less confused about what, what the hell they're talking about? Right. So it, it's good to start with the fact that I think it's important to start with the fact that Ted has said that um, he's evaluating Ernie Grunfeld from the time he took over as owner, which yes. is in 2010, so as a majority owner. So everyone's like, well, this is 14 season, you know, and I've written it. There's only four guys who have been around longer in this position, Danny Ainge, Riley, Kupchak, yes, and um, I think it's uh, Rossi Buford, and they have all won a championship. So um, and Ernie Grunfeld's fifth on the list, but Ted Leonsis is not going on that uh, on that map. He's going on since he's taking over. So um, the first part of that, you know, sort of plan was kind of deconstructing the roster and sort of going slowly through the draft, right? So they drafted John Wall, sort of fell in their lap as they won the lottery, and that was the surefire number one pick. Um, you know, Vesely and Singleton, which are the, they just, they, that draft was a disaster. Um, and that really, I think that really set the Wizards back a bit here. You know, if you get a couple, at least competent players, guys who are still in the roster, rotation players, something, uh, this is a very different team. Um, you know, just missing it on, on, on that draft. You know, guy was not even in the NBA within a couple of years and, and basically, and single not in the NBA either, but two first round picks, um, that was a, a disaster, uh, basically. So, then obviously you get, you, you get Beal, um, 
you get Otto, and Otto Porter, everyone says he's number three pick. He's now living on the bench. So that was a pretty bad draft. Really bad. Um, back on it. Yeah, so there wasn't much to pick from. Obviously, and then everyone goes into the whole, you know, they could have gotten Kawhi. You know, they could have gotten Seth Curry back and whenever he came out. They didn't trade that pick for Randy Foy or whoever it was, you know, Mike Miller. Um, trying to think of my, my head. Yeah, yeah, no. But, um, oh, yes. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they could have drafted Raymond Green. They didn't take that around. You know, Levy just played a, a minute yet for the Wizards. Uh, they could have had Clay Thompson, who Chris Saunders reportedly wanted. Um, you know, you know they could have gotten this player and that player. You know, which is all well and good. You know, you know what? I think the rest of the NBA could probably make said the same exact things. You know, the rest of the NBA for that Jaylon Green was in the second round. Um, so it's they, they are they missed in the draft. So that 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 part wasn't perfect, but they still have you know Bradley Beal, John Wall, um, Kyle Porter. Um, and I think the second part of the plan was sort of adding, sort of adding guys around them. Or maybe, you know, if they had an NA, um, you know, the Gortat, uh, trading the, I think it was the first, first rounder in, in Okafor. Um, Trevor Reza. Trevor Reza. Yeah, you know, adding, yeah, adding Trevor Reza. Um, Webster. On a pretty, good, a pretty good trade. Uh, you know, getting Pierce off that one year. So getting sort of pieces around them, but while maintaining the flexibility, um, for this summer, and it, I, it's not a coincidence, and it's obvious to everyone that they lined it up with Kevin Durant. So they lined, you know, their fate with this one player who's from the area, who, you know, a few years ago, a couple years ago, they decided we're going to go after it. We feel like we need to get one of the best players in the world to take the next step. And you know, as much as you want to maybe fault them for, you know, not coming up with a, you know, a different plan that, you know, didn't. You know, you can put all your eggs in one basket. The NBA is all about winning with stars, right? Um, that's how many, I mean, how many teams have won a championship without at least a, a couple, you know, top 15 players, right? Yeah. The only one I can really think of is, are, the, are the Mavs, um, you know, that one year. Um, everyone else, you need to have two, three guys in the top 20, 25 in the league. You need stars. It's a star-driven league. They decided John Wall's our first star. Bradley Beal, we believe, will develop into our second star. And we're gonna go with a third guy, and that third guy hopefully will be Kevin Durant. Now, if they don't get Kevin Durant, when do you pivot? Do you pivot on draft night? If you think, hey, when we're here in our intel, we're not gonna get Kevin Durant. Do you pivot on draft night when if the Knicks say, you know what, Melo will uh, will waive his no trade clause, um, we'll trade Melo for whatever, or do you pivot for for Cousins, or do you pivot for Jimmy Butler, some, or do you pivot for Blake Griffin? You know, whatever may be available. The names you hear bouncing around. You know the rumor mill. Um, yeah. You do pivot off that before phase before you have a chance to, to meet with Kevin Durant if he gives you a, a meeting. Um, so there's a lot going on. Just it, it, this summer, um, do they decide with the money to divvy up the money and go after two quality, you know, two good veterans um, instead of one star, you know, with the money? Um, you know, it's it's sort of a lot going on. But they decided a couple years ago this was the summer they're going to make a move. This is also yeah, the other thing, the other thing that the other, the other thing that lined up was in the Nays contract expiring and Bradley Beal being up for his extension at the same time. That was another part of the plan, I know. Yeah, well, the, the one part of the plan that, unfortunately for them, this part is not good. Um, this summer is also a summer when the salary cap's going to jump up yes. to twenty million at least. Yeah, which means you know all this cap that you've like you know meticulously created, all this cap and respectability. 
it sort of washed away by the fact that there were... Now, two-thirds of the league are going to have it, right? Two-thirds of the league are going to have it instead of a handful of teams, right? Right. So, like, if, if it was just, like, six teams in the cap room, it'd be very different. But it's, like, 16 plus, like, the other... I, I don't know exactly how many teams that have, like, enough cap room for a max contract, but the ones that don't, just based on the cap jump, well, literally all they have to do is make a couple moves and they will be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Yeah. So a team like the Wolverton Warriors will be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes if they let Azili and Barnes go, for yeah. example. Spurs, or the Spurs, too, Spurs too, right? Just, so it's like all of a sudden, you know, this this, this cap will be great because the TV contract money came in and if there wasn't a smoothing of the cap, as, you know, the NBA wanted, um, all of a sudden the cap room that you had that you knew you would have that you you know, planned and you know deliberately. Um, you've taken, you know, maybe maybe haven't been as good the last couple of years as you could have been because you wanted this cap room. Isn't as valuable because everybody else is going to have cap room. So that's one part of the plan. That, you know, that's part. That's an unfortunate break. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you can argue that they should have seen it coming. Um, you know, the, yeah. the TV deal was all up. Um, that it, it could have happened. Um, you know, the smoothing of the cap wasn't an automatic thing. You could have argued that. Um, they should have seen it coming and, you know, had a plan B. Um, maybe plan B is out there in terms of a trade before July 1st if they can pull it off. So that's going to sort of be the next interesting thing. Um, you know, if they buy into the draft, um, in the next, the next, and, you know, they'll have draft workouts. So the next development for the Wizards, the next thing to look for, um, is whether they could it off, um, waiting for free agency or if they, they make some move before the July first. You're saying maybe they do something right. before and July first. Yeah, make yeah make a move before July first. Um, if a player, if a spot player is available, would they buy a draft um, pick? Had... Would they buy a draft pick? No way. I mean, all we do is sell draft picks. So I'd be shocked if they right. So how was that? So I was actually thinking about that today. You know, they have a history of selling draft picks, but this year could be a little different because first of all, you buy a draft pick, it's 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 owner's money. Um, second of all. A second round pick has a good chance of making this team um, this yeah. year, and he's cheap. Um, he'd be very cheap, and with the way you know they want to construct this roster with you know maybe a you know a big time player, a max contract, whatever. Guys making minimum or close to minimum are very valuable for that sort of round up the roster. That's so, true. Um, so maybe does, that, does, a Boston, does a Boston and Philadelphia have like a million second round picks? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Boston. I think one of those teams owns like fifteen percent of the draft. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous number. Um, yeah, but, 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 the Celtics need to trade some picks because I think yeah, so many picks that you know you can. There's no chance they make the roster. So maybe maybe the Wizards do draft this year because um, it's just cheap go talent. Well, going back uh, to and maybe that they let. Yeah, no. Going back to Ted, Ted and Ernie, what I want to finish them before I go into Kevin Durant is that I think what frustrates fans too is that is that the Cavs GM was there for a long time, right? He replaces him with the number two, hires internally, and the Cavs have more success. Now, of course, they did not have the success they wanted in the postseason, but they had the best record in the league. So it actually was like, oh my gosh, like fans were, you know, hey, get rid of GM, GM. They need fresh new leadership. And then Ted, basically, when someone asked him that specific question, says that his reason he got rid of the Caps GM and changed because they were trading uh, young for old and stuff. But then the Blizzards now have traded two straight draft picks, first-round picks, in two, two of the last three drafts, and have only taken one pick out of three drafts, which basically is old for young, right? And 
it's it's very confusing to where he's it's like he's self-serving um, arguments about two sports teams. Now, granted, this is a negative fallout of having two sports teams, so I can specifically compare a decision to another franchise, which obviously is different, basketball and hockey, but when it comes from a management standpoint, it really stands out to fans. So when you hear him say those answers, like, what the hell is he talking about? Is he just trying to get out of the questions, or does he have some type of other overarching point that he's making? Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm referencing? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so basically, you know, question is um, why does he think that the Wizards plan isn't the Wizards aren't doing the same thing in the clip the, the Caps are doing before yes right. I think their their argument is so they traded last the first round pick um, they traded they moved up last year for Uwe they traded the second round pick this year for Uwe for Uwe last year um, their argument for the Marquise Morris trade for example is that Marquise Morris is 26 and on a on a cap company contract, eight million dollars a year, which is a bargain. Who's created the summary probably make double of you know, twelve to fifteen million, whatever it is. Um, so the argument is that's a guy that's gonna that's sort of he's basically John Wall's age. Um, he's a player that is prime aligned with John Wall and right now we're trying to win over the next couple of years. That, that that trade indicated that you know what, we can't wait for a pick even if we don't make the playoffs. Um, you know, we can't wait for the thirteenth overall pick to become a very good player. We don't have that much time. John Wall's a free agent in three years. Yeah. Um, we, can, we can make a move right now. So, um, a couple of years ago when they traded that first round pick for Gortat, I think um, they viewed Gortat. They mentioned, they always, when they talk about Gortat, they talk about he's a young 32 or 31 or whatever he is. Um, guy who hasn't played that many minutes. Um, so they viewed him as a guy, they gave him a five years, you know, $60 million contract as a guy who, again, will align with John Wall's prime, uh, who will go with John Wall. Um, you know, as Bradley Beal also enters his prime. And a five-year, $60 million contract right now is not bad for a starting center in the NBA who basically averages a double-double, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the argument can be made that they, they have traded over young, but uh, it's reached the point, I think the counter to that would be it reached the point where if you're going to you know, draft a 19-year-old um, or 22-year-old, even a four-year guy, um, Oh, yeah. For example, wanted Marquise Morris instead. So, like, and that's, and you know what the counter, again, the counter of that is, you know what, Josh Richardson went undrafted, and he was helping the Miami Heat out, and playing right. a role in the playoffs just now. Frank Kaminsky, you know, ninth overall, was helping out the Hornets. Um, you know, but there different guys, you know, Norman Powell came second round pick, was playing big minutes for the Raptors that time on the stretch in the playoffs. So, there's a kind of argument, well, if you, you have the scouting, and you have, uh, if you're good at picking drafting players, you'll pick a player that will help you. But, but isn't but isn't that right? Isn't Jorge, Isn't that just making the argument they should have drafted Portis and not traded a pick and just waited and drafted Portis who seemed to be more of a fit if you were gonna go that route? Right. Yeah. That, that that's true. That's true. I I would have gone. I mean, I I, I told people I I would have drafted by Portis. I thought he was sort of exactly yeah. what they needed. Um, because that's where it becomes confusing, you know. Right. Right. And I think they just kind of got enticed by Kelly Oubre's potential. Um, that that was that the thing where you know we're in the, you know sort of the teens, you know early twenties right now, wherever they were. That was nineteenth pick they were. Um, let's let's try to let's go for the home run um, instead of you know getting a you know a rotation guy. Let's try to get, you know player to star who maybe in a couple of years or maybe like for example this summer has shown enough um, in his rookie year and entice maybe somebody else and we can use him in trade. I, was, I mean, I was more impressed with Oubre, uh, his ability to defend and his desire 
uh, kind of basketball wise than I thought I'd be. I thought he was just you know my perception of Kansas was one of these phenom guys who kind of coasted through one year so he could go pro and he had all this ability. But he really did have some uh, basketball sense, especially on the defensive end. I mean, now he fouls too much, and he's too frail, and he needs to improve his ball handling. But there was a like he wants you know face guard the defender. He was in passing lanes. Like I felt like he wanted to compete a lot harder than he had a good motor com- competitive wise. I don't know what you said about Ubre before we move on. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of players. I talked to um, you know that last Brooklyn game they played when he played a lot of times. I wrote a story about Kelly. Um, and I thought the guys, on, you know, on the team, and what they thought about the first thing they would say is he works hard, man. He works a lot harder than I thought he work hard, uh, work, you know. And like you said, when you hear, when you see a player is basically benched, you know, he's a top five recruit last year. You know, top five, top ten yeah. recruit in the country. Right. He was a big time recruit. He's supposed to follow Andrew Wiggins, yeah. um, kind of be his uh, heir apparent. And when you see that he gets benched, you know, he's come off the bench just to start, and you, you have to wonder, you know, what's up with this? What's up with that? Um, you know, sort of red flag come up, and, and you know, and that's. And he didn't play that, you know, in college. He didn't play as well as people thought he was going to play at Kansas, um, even when he did play. Um, but he played better, obviously, down the stretch. But, um, so yeah, when you see that, you're like, okay, um, you know, maybe it was a work ethic thing, maybe it's an attitude thing, whatever the case, you know. And then obviously you see the shoes at the draft and yes. what he's saying, you know, all that stuff. And you're like, oh, you know, I saw people comparing him to Nick Young. I was oh, like, yeah, that's, guy. that's um, so unfair. So like, Relax, but like you know, and they came out, and he worked hard behind the scenes. He worked hard. Um, that's what everyone says. Um, he's working at his game all the time, um, and he's a guy like you said. Maybe you know he needs to work on his right hand, or whatever. But at, you know, at worst, being a good defender, good to great defender, he's a great you know. When, if he develops into a great defender, he have a place in this league. Um, you know, he has a seven-one wingspan. Oh yeah, his and, league, his you know, league he's, and he's, athleticism he's, he's like, ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, and he shot he shot the three. A lot better than the Wizards thought he would. Um, I mean, and this is a guy again, like, and, I, and I've been told this that if they have all those injuries, um, he probably was going to be in the D League, you know, at least once or twice, spending a couple, you know, stints playing a few games in the D League somewhere. Um, so, you know, he, he has potential. He's a he can be a, like the, you know the quote unquote three and D guy, just play good defense, hit three pointers, um, and that's you always find a, um, a spot in the league with that. Um, you know, 15th pick in the draft, that's a pretty good, you know, investment. That's pretty good. Um, if he, that, if that's what he becomes, that's pretty good. And they still think that he, 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 he could be even more. So, um, you know, we'll see again, like going back to Scott Brooks, we'll see if he can sort of develop him if he's around. Yeah. Speaking of long, lengthy guys, the seat, pleasant Maryland native, uh, Mr. Kevin Durant, the Durantula, the KD to D to DC, uh, hashtag, I believe has taken a hit over this postseason with Oklahoma City's success. Do you do you agree with that observation? And does at this point does Oklahoma City either need to get blown out by the Warriors, win it all? What is the what is the most uh, what is the scenario that the Wizards fans need for this to happen, or does none of it really matter? And who really knows? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely the latter. But you know, the speculate, which is what yes, everyone is yes. doing. Yeah, I love the last speculate. Years. That's why you listen to this podcast, um, right? <laughs> Uh, what's going on with the Thunder is not helping anyone yes. to Durant. You know, whether it's the Washington or Paris or wherever, or anybody that wants Kevin Durant, Boston, Golden State, Golden State is not helping themselves. You know, by losing Game One, yes, um, in more ways than one, if they want Kevin Durant. So, um, yeah, that's not good. But I've also heard that you know, and, and I've written this like 
you know, he's not exactly keen on playing in Washington. You know, you, this is obviously third, you know, you sort of playing game of telephone. You talk to people who talk to people who talk to Durant, you know, type of thing. But if he's never been keen about playing here, the, the pressure of playing at home, um, you know, there's lots of people, you know, as they say, you, you know, the richer you get, the more famous you get, you cousins that you've never heard of, and, you know, aunts and uncles that you haven't heard of since you were like two years old or whatever, that want something. So, um, he's sort of isolated out there in Oklahoma. And it's interesting, you know, I don't think he went to Texas by accident. You know, he could have gone to a bunch of schools on the East Coast. He, he didn't. He went to Texas. Um, so, I, I think it's, it's, well, really complicated. I said, we're just going to give it a chance, obviously. We're give it a shot, obviously. But I think the most, I think what's going to happen with Kevin Durant is, Tons of other people have said it, and it's not an original idea of thought. He's going to do a two-year deal with a one-year opt-out, and opt-out, next right. summer he'll reevaluate. Re-evalu- re-evalu- I think they've proven, the Thunder have proven right now, they're proving right now that they're a championship-level team, even if they don't get to the final. You know, they're at the very least a top-three team in the NBA. Steph Curry gets hurt in game four of the series. Yeah. You never know. It's Clay Thompson or something. You know, they're an injury away from being, you know, in the finals. Um, if you're Kevin Durant, I'm not Kevin Durant, but if you are, and you know, going his head for a bit, you say, you know, we're right there. We're, we're at least a step away, if not already there, and playing the Cavs in the finals. So, well, um, also also coincides with Russell Westbrook's contract as well, right? I mean, that's the other argument, right? And search, and search is about So, like, that's, yeah, that is so. You know, if, if so, if that, happens, right. if that happens, if that happens, Jorge, so could the Wizards still have cap money to go after him next summer? Or what would they have to not do this summer? Or first explain the, the Wizards' salary cap situation. I know you wrote about this. I linked. I linked to it too in a blog. They have money for you know two big time players or one and an average guy. Is there a way that they would have enough money next summer? We're assuming they're signing Bradley Beal to a max too. Here, by the way. What was that guy? Uh, salary cap situation of the Wizards. If if Kevin Durant does this one year op deal. How can they have enough money next summer to go after him? Because if they sign too many players this summer, or if he signs to do that, is he just completely out of the Wizards' plans? Yeah, I, I don't. They haven't gotten that far in thinking. I think she told me what we should do. Um, but think, think about it right now. Is I, I don't see if they sign Bradley Bill to a max now, um, how they could add a Kevin Durant, let's say, move somebody uh, yeah. before next summer. Okay. So I think he'd be out of plans. Yeah. And, you know, that he's not the only, he wouldn't be the only free agent next summer. I know. I think yeah. be a couple guys, Blake Griffin's going to be a free agent next summer. Uh, next year's class is a little, next year's class would be, it's already better. Now, Durant joins that class, obviously, would be significantly better. That would probably leave, I don't know, the best unrestricted free agent if Durant is off the table might be Al Horford. Um, yeah. Unless, unless LeBron knocked out, which, so the Wizards, if Kevin Durant, you know, stays Oklahoma for one more year, the Wizards are going to spend their cap money this summer on some other players. And then if Kevin Durant's available next summer, unless they made a major deal, they wouldn't have room to go after him. Yeah. Yeah. So, because basically the only way they can sign, the reason why they can sign Bradley Beal to a math deal and also get a Kevin Durant or Max player in free agency is because they own Bradley Bill's bird rights and go, can go yeah, over the cap. They can go now, over the cap. Now, at the same time, they're, they're going to want to stay under the luxury tax, yeah. which I think is going to be like $20 million um, above the cap. So they're, they're going to have to play around a little bit and make sure they, they go over the cap 
they signed Max, Max contract player officially and the paper with him first. Then they signed Bradley Beal officially and made sure they, they stay in the luxury tax. Now, if they don't sign a Max Steel contract player, um, Max Steel player this summer and they just signed Bradley Beal to the Max, um, they're just going to go out to the cap, um, you know, and get past the cap, but they can't sign a free agent after going over the cap because they're not going to own that person. Gotcha. You know, that player's bird rights. But they have so, tw- they have twenty five million right this off season in free space cap holds give give or take the Wizards have twenty five million available give or take I, it, I think it's uh I think it's from low thirties thirty thirty millions okay yeah yeah so then like the max contract thing depends on exactly like what the that salary cap is going to be next year that's projected to be ninety two million right now a lot of people are assuming that's what it's going to be could go higher. Um, and also depends on the years of service. So another reason why Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant would be smart to stay is get more money next summer um, too, right? Right, because he'll be a ten-year, ten-year um, veteran next summer. And I think he jumps to thirty-five or forty. Actually, off the top of my head, he jumps up um, in terms of percentage of the cap he's allowed to to, to sort of consume. So uh, right now he's not. He's in a lower level, of seven to nine-year um, year service um, level. So if you wait one more year, basically over the life of a contract, it's as much as maybe, I think, like $40 million. Yeah, that's a so, lot. So um, it's, it's, you know, another reason why this, um, that's the, might be the smarter route. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, Kevin Durant's off the table. What players have you heard that the Wizards potentially might go after this, this free agency offseason? So, I mean, if you just go through the list, right, you can kind of like, free agency-wise, um, I think it's interesting, you know, Mike Conley's almost Mike Conley's a point guard, so that's not gonna really work. I've heard DeMar DeRozan is not doesn't want to play in Washington. Um, Al Horford. How does how would Al Horford fit here? You know, with once he trade uh court tie. Um did he play the four? Um, you know, I don't know about that. He's a three point shooter, but defensively does that make sense? Um, you know, it, there aren't that many options, you know. Yes, I know. I think the trade I, uh, the trade market is, I think, where it could get interesting. And it depends again on who who's available, who's made available. Like I mentioned some names earlier, Carmelo Anthony is he going to be made available? Does he want to? Is he going to waive his no trade clause? Um, would he waive his no trade clause to come to Washington? What would it take to get a Carmelo Anthony? Does it take you know a first round pick, Kelly Oubre, and Otto Porter? Or does it take Bradley Beal? Does it, you know? Would you do that? Will you trade Bradley Beal for Carmelo Anthony? Boogie Cousins, Boogie Cousins, right? Yeah, so Boogie Cousins, like. Are you willing to kind of take on what, from a distance, seems like a headache? Um, you know, are you because you think John Wall can sort of, you know, get him, you know, straighten him out a little bit, and Scott Brooks can, and whatever? Um, Blake Griffin and each other. The Clippers are going to blow up, um, you know, their roster and trade a, a Blake Griffin. Um, is that is that a guy? Is that a guy who makes sense to you? And what? And what would that take? Um, so it depends on sort of Jimmy Butler, um, you know, but Bradley Beal is a two guard. You decide that Jimmy Butler is a better two guard and go that route. Um, you know, the better investment. So, um, it's, I think trade, I think ultimately, um, there are more options, high, you know, high level, top tier options, um, potentially in the trade market, but those players have to be available and then you have to make a trade that, you know, is worth it for that team. So it's a lot of sets and, and also timing. You you pivot, like I said earlier, do you pivot off uh, waiting for free agency before um, July 1st um, if players are made available, or do you kind of ride it out and take a chance? 
So, um, so, so you're basically saying that you'll be curious to see if the Wizards trade. Do they buy? Do they buy into the draft? Do they make some deals here before the July first and try to maybe set their set their mark, try to get ahead of the market instead of when they're just competing with five, eight other teams with you know the same max money to offer Nick Batum, right? Or Harrison Barnes. Right. So another, <laughs> yeah, another reason why trade makes trade is a, is a enticing option is you don't have the max salaries. You can kind of just put some. Um, you can when you make a trade that person if it's flattens your trade on uh, your cap room, it's they have the max salary. So if you trade an auto for and Kelly Oubre and they add up to whatever it is six to ten million dollars. It's off the top of my head. I'm not really sure, but um, and Melo's making over twenty. You don't have to match the salaries as long as they fit in your cap room. So. That's another reason why, um, you know, a trade could be easier. Um, if I'm the Wizards, I'm looking for a, a wing scorer. Um, you know, like, you need, they need, this team needs more scoring. Um, yep. And I think uh, that's a player, like, you know, Kevin Durant, obviously, is the, the ultimate one. But, like, you know, I keep mentioning uh, Carmelo Anthony because um, I think that's a really uh, interesting option if he's available for the, um, for the Wizards uh, this summer. Yeah, what, what, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about, and I'll probably have you back on maybe sometime after this all blows smoke. But two things I want to get to before you, I've had you way too long, but we buried the worst news at the end. Uh, that would be the franchise having knee surgery, <laughs> John Wall. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention right. this before we end the podcast because <laughs> be like, hey, did you mention how John Wall's out all so in this training camp? I'm like, no, I just skipped it because I. Denial, Jorge, that it's true. So news breaks that John Wall had two surgeries, one really minor, one more serious. Can you discuss the particulars of this? Kind of, I mean, I guess he did miss at the end of the season, shut it down. Uh, I didn't really see this. I didn't realize it was so severe. Uh, just describe this knee surgeries. You know what what went down? Uh, so basically, the minor one, I think, it was on the right knee. Um, Basically, that's what I've been told is something that players, you know, not routinely, but sort of not a irregular thing. Like, guys get that all the time, and uh, and it's not announced. Like, the team doesn't announce it because it's not considered a big deal. That's what – so that's why I say, you know, when I said that was a minor one, it's still invasive. You still prefer not to have it done. You know, you don't want to never have surgery. Um, but that one apparently, you know, for procedure, whatever, uh, whatever word they, these teams come up with. But – um the last one is one that there's a reason. So when when you say he's not going to be ready by the start of training camp, that start of training camp is over. That is a really long time from now. Um, that but he was in that cell for months. If this was done during the season. Obviously, uh, so he played through it. Uh, he talked about the fact that he was playing through injuries, um, and obviously he was. And so from what I gather, he's been playing through the knee pain for the last couple of years. Yeah. So the thinking is, you know. Yeah, so their thinking is, you know, he's going to be even better than ever um, now next summer. Is this the same knee? Is this the same knee that he hurt in 2012? The microfracture one? I think so, right? Yes. It's the same one, right? So, so yeah. So here, here's so they're saying he's going to be better than ever. Um, <laughs> the counter to that is this is a guy who depends on his athleticism and speed. You kind of worry that you know if you have this invasive surgery. Um, you gonna hinder that at all? Um, so, you know, it's it's, inter- it's it's certainly not a minor thing. I feel like it's what's what's uh, under the rug. 
So what is, it, what, what is the timetable on these type of injuries, and what are the timetable they gave? They gave. They, they said, what, he'd be out four months, four or five months the whole summer, and maybe be back for training camp, maybe. I'm assuming he's not going to be back till the beginning of the year and might miss time, but I'm being pessimistic. Miss, might miss games. Well, yeah. So, right, so he's, he's not going to be uh, he's not gonna be ready for training camp. He's basically the expectation. That's why they said, you know, and they worded it in the release. That he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Start of the season, know, start I'm sorry. Start of season, yes. I'm up. Yeah, so the start of the season is a month after camp. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't, you know, obviously things can change. Recoveries can can be quicker or longer. You know, maybe he won't be ready for the start of the season. Maybe he'll be for the start of the start of training camp. It all depends on the rehab, I guess, not in post. But this was a pretty major surgery, and there's no way of getting around it. Um, if it was again, if it was done during the season, he would have been wiped out for months. Um, so, and like you he said, played the, through it. He the, the, him coming back, you know, it's not like he's like some guy going to shoot three pointers in the corner and stand around. Like he's the dude with the ball all the time, right? It's like he plays a certain way. <laughs> he's going to need maybe even yeah, more he, time, right? He were, yeah, you know, you he relies on athleticism and and speed. You know, in, in, with a player like that, you know, you hope over time he adjusts. And make the proper adjustments to the game, so forth, so forth, uh, so on and so forth, to sort of uh, alleviate the, the inevitable loss of your athleticism and speed. But you know, he's going to be 26 years old in September. Like he shouldn't have to adjust too much. He's still in his prime, like so. He's still in his physical prime. So you know, you hope that you know, to the Wizards, that this doesn't really hinder that at all, and he can kind of just back and you know, be better than he was the last couple of years in terms of speed and athleticism, because he's not dealing with the knee, the knee problems. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I was already uh, not feeling good about this, and you've re- reinforced my my negative feelings. But with knees and Wizards players and injury timelines, uh, no one has any positive, optimistic thoughts when it comes to that the history of this franchise. Uh, Sadoransky coming over, Thomas Sadoransky. I think Tomas. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's I think it's that way. He's it's been reported he's been bought out potentially yet of his contract with Barcelona that he actually re-upped. He's a Wizards second round pick. Uh, from a few years ago, um, actually three or four years ago now. But what, what, why now of this team, and what do you know about him coming over? And is he going to play in summer league too? Yeah, so he obviously had um, he extended, like you said, and initially, like, oh, what is it? I mean, he's not coming over, but there's still a chance he can't come over. Um, and the Wizards are already, you know, so they're willing to offer him a contract and. Um, get him on, get him on board, and he, he can be bought out. The thing is, with the buyouts is, um, you know, the, the team can only give up this gives so much up front to the to the to, to Barcelona, the team that's currently um, he's on. So um, he decided I can come over this summer, and you know, if he signs, I'm sure he'll play in the summer league, maybe, perhaps. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but um, you know, we'll see. I, it's something that's, you know, obviously he has to come over and feel like he has the role. Um, he's gonna be happy with that role, and he's gonna be happy with the money. Like he's making decent money in Europe. That's very good, you know, second best league in the world. Not like he's like in some, you know, crappy league or something. And so, uh, it, it has to make sense, obviously, for him. Um, but you know, he's a guy who wants to play in the NBA. You know, everyone wants to play in the NBA. Eventually, it's the best league. So the Wizards um, want want him to come over. Um, it's a matter of figuring out the buyout and the contract. Okay, and when will that take place? Do you know any timetable? What's up? Any timetable when that will happen? No, I'm. I mean, obviously, if they 
if they want to get him over this summer, I'm sure it'll happen sometime in July. In July, okay. Yeah, because yeah, you know they got to they got to add him into their you know salary cap situation. And so I'm sure it'll happen sometime this summer, um, sort of after all the you know Kevin Durant and figuring out Kevin Durant will come and whatever, and sort of figuring out the, the cap situation. But um, it's definitely an option this summer. Um, I know people when they saw the extension like, oh, that means he's not coming over. That's not the case. There's, there's a chance. What have, what have the Wizards, uh, what has the team said about his game or maybe some other uh, scouts or anyone you've talked to about Sadoransky? What, what did they say specifically about him? Well, he's, uh, so the Wizards, like, he, they think he's an you know, athletic player. He's 6'7", pretty long, you know, good passer. He'd be a combo guard. He, he's someone who could play point guard. But he's also 6'7", so, you know, he can play off the ball as well. So he, he's still a pretty young guy. Um and like I said, he's a guy who, with that wingspan being six seven, is that defensive versatility. Um, again, we haven't seen him play against NBA competition, but you know, if you get his say him and John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter on the yeah. court, that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of arms yes. um, and stuff like that. So um, you know, he's a versatile guy who they think can have a role in the NBA. Now, what is starter at some point? Um, I don't know. I can't really say. I don't know if they even know that, but. Um, He's a player who would definitely be in an NBA rotation. Well, and this team has tons of roster spots available. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing, right? So everyone's going to get a look this summer. Um, it's going to be the type of thing where guys are going to come in. You know, undrafted guys, um, guys who go undrafted, the Wizards are going to be at the top of their list just because there are so many spots available. And the Wizards are going to be looking for guys. So, you know, cheap, cheap talent, um, cheap guys. So, um any guys that are that go undrafted, like I said, like I think I tweeted the other day that Niang, they interviewed Niang from uh, Iowa State, and a guy was like, why would they interview him? It's like, you know, they're, they're going to interview guys who have a chance of falling out of the draft. Um, yeah, especially if you know, to fill out their summer league roster, too, right? I mean, what's up? To, to fill out, they have no picks, but they still have a summer league team. I mean, they're going to want to get some free agent guys yeah, to exactly. fill that or, out. Hey, hey, exactly, exactly. So, um, that's going to be someone else to kind of keep track of, like the you know the workout start I think in, in a couple of weeks. Um, guys they're going to bring in or not, you know, you know, Brandon Ingram is not coming in for a workout with the Wizards. <laughs> it's going to be guys who you know you go on Draft Express and they're you know late second rounders ordering undrafted um, players, um, mostly for the most part. But also this goes to your point of what if they buy into the draft? What if some guy, they're like, work out, and they're like, damn, let's get this guy. Like, who can we buy? What pick can we buy at 40 or 50? You know, I would love for them to do that, and I would stop ripping on them for doing the opposite, and they would make me really happy. So they should do it for my personal reasons and for fans. For fans. But in general, I think that would be a good basketball move. So to, to do that type of research, you have to you have to try these workouts with guys when you have no picks, right? Because cosmetically, you're like, why are you working out, dudes? you got no picks. <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, yeah, guys that are working out, so many guys work out for different teams that don't go that go undrafted. That's and true. guys who are, and guys know who where they stand and, you know, the pecking order and mock drafts and whatnot. And their agents know where they stand. So they're going to set up workouts for the Wizards because there's tons of spots available and um, there's a great possibility of them making the team, um, you know, come October. Cool, Jorge. Well, I've taken way too much of your time, man, but this conversation was awesome. I think people are really going to enjoy it. Uh, I will... 
refrain from going asking you some mundane questions about the Puerto Rico uh, debt crisis, like I joked with you. Uh, <laughs> but I will ask you one of. I, I saw you tweeted Fuego. Is he a Puerto Rican rapper? You said he's like he's like. Uh, uh, he's a Dominican guy. He's actually, Dominican. Dominican. He's actually okay. it's rich. He's he's Dominican, but he, actually he was born in D.C. and he grew up outside in Maryland. Okay. You guys should uh, you should uh, look is him he up. He's actually, is he good? He, he's he's like future. To, uh, he's like future. What's up? He's like future. I like future. Yeah, I'm not as uh, as big a future fan as a lot of people out there are, but I, I do like future stuff. Um, but yeah, so I could tweet about that. I tweet so, about how, well, there's any Puerto Rican musicians I should look up that you like. Puerto Rican? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm big into uh, reggaeton. I don't know if you uh, if you if you delve into that. Yeah, no. Um, I saw actually. So I uh, I saw this group called uh, Plan B. Plan B. Um, in in concert last a few weeks ago here in DC. Where at? One of the better concerts I've seen. So so that's a, that's a good one for you to, to look up if you're Plan B. Plan B. <laughs> Plan B. Where where they play at? Where's the show? Uh, where did they, where did they play at? Yeah, where was the show at? Oh, uh, Echo Stage. Echo Stage, nice, cool. I'll, I'll have to play their music because I, I do a lot of music on this podcast. But sweet man. Well, hey Jorge, uh, any what do you got going on this summer? Any partying words? You just be chilling. What's up? You just getting ready for the, the workouts. Yeah, yeah, I'll be around for all that stuff. Keep me busy, man. There's always stuff going on. All right, cool, dude. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate uh, your time, uh, and it's, it's been fun. Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, cool, dude. That, that is Jorge Casillo, The Washington Post. Uh, I think everyone that listened to this know who, his, he, who he is. does some great work on the team, and he's replaced Michael Lee very, very well. Uh, hey, everyone, thanks for support, and as always, go mother effing whiz. Peace out. <laughs>